Hey, it's Simon. This is Turning the Tables, a podcast dedicated to stories of people who've overcome adversity to find new purpose and meaning in their lives. Welcome to episode 10 of Turning the Tables. Something of a landmark for me, I think. I've been asked by a number of people about my story. How did I come to do this podcast? What were the circumstances that led me to want to talk about how people can turn the tables in their lives? In the last episode with Michael Crawford, we talked a little bit about our mutual journey with chronic fatigue. But obviously, I can't interview myself, so I thought I'd take a slightly different approach because I was on Seth Godin's storytelling course recently, part of which was that we had to write our own story. So I've taken that story and recorded it. And I'm also going to reflect on some of the lessons that can be drawn from the episodes and the people I've talked to and the guests we've had over the last six months or so. So to kick off, here's my story. They called the Madman on Madison Avenue in the 1950s, dramatised 50 years later in the TV series of the same name. For 25 years, I was following the dream of a successful advertising executive. I worked hard, moved up the greasy pole and managed not to slip down. Whilst it may not have been fast cars, long lunches and cocktails on the terraces in the 1980s, travelling the globe on film shoots and working with the beautiful people had its compensations. At least in my own mind at the time, I was at the top of my game. So much so that I went on to set up an agency with my good friend and colleague, taking most of our clients with us. I think I would accurately describe myself as an achiever personality, as I pushed myself and the team to deliver, with a perfectionist streak that was unyielding as it was relentless. I played a good game. I was wearing a set of clothes that looked good on the outside, but over time increasingly those clothes didn't entirely fit on the inside. It was a cold winter's morning. The condensation from central heating systems filled the urban skyline, redolent of the smoky chimney pots of years gone by. I entered the tube station and ran down the stairs, queuing momentarily to pass through the turnstile. Hurriedly getting onto the escalator, I descended down to the train platform, as I had done thousands of times before. The hum and churn of cogs, binding on metal, created a monotonous wall of sound. The grey faces of early commuters looked blankly into space as they traversed the escalators, coming up in the opposite direction. They were going somewhere, but was it a road to nowhere? It was at that moment, staring into those blank faces, that the thought came into my mind. You can't keep this up. Something's going to give. A weariness enveloped me 
as I pushed my way onto yet another overcrowded train, scented with the musty smell of overheated bodies pushed together. Where was this journey heading? Not a place I wanted to be, my instinct told me, but would my brain listen? That voice in my head saying you can't go on like this, something's going to give, popped up more frequently over the next six months. But what could I do? My family relied on me. I'm running a business that relies on my leadership. I always wanted to be in control, but will that be my nemesis? Privately, my business partner and I would chew the cud over a pint. Increasingly, the conversation turned to how much longer do we have to keep this up? As usual, I finished the conversation with the Churchillian phrase my father used, just keep buggering on. This was supposed to be our dream. It certainly didn't feel that way. Six months later, I was standing on the first tee of the Valderrama golf course in Spain with my two colleagues and my most important client waiting to tee off. I felt terrible, a pulsating headache, drained of energy with what I thought was a virus. As I stared down the fairway, I thought to myself, how on earth am I going to complete 18 holes of golf in 25 degrees of heat, feeling like this. But inside me, something drove me on. I had to battle on. Somehow, I managed to complete the round. But at what cost? I found reserves of energy and determination. I didn't know I had. But I can honestly say that at that point, I'd never felt so drained of energy in my life. The battery was hovering on 5%. We went to the clubhouse to eat. Swallowing small pieces of Spanish tortilla as my body craved energy, I waited for relief from this torture. It never came. That night, I gave in to the crushing fatigue. I flew home. Little did I know the nightmare had only just begun. Another few months later, following hospital visits and vexed brows, I was finally diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and went on long-term sick leave to try to recover. No recovery ensued. A further year on, I found myself bed-bound, barely able to walk to the bathroom with severe depression. The pressure on my family and our relationships was immense. What is this condition? What if you don't recover? As I sat in the waiting room to see a psychiatrist, I ticked the box on the form. Thoughts of suicide, but not acted on. The message my body had been trying to tell me all this time had finally exerted its own control. When you reach the bottom, something inside you turns on a switch, like a light bulb. I had two choices, stay like this for an indefinite period, or stop resisting, accept my reality and find a way out. I found a new mantra. Not everything that's faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed that's not faced. Conventional medicine had no answers, but despite not having the energy to read or listen for more than five minutes at a time, 
I started to piece together the foundations of recovery, initially by getting a better understanding of the condition, and then, fortunately, discovering a recovery program that I could believe in. I vowed to follow this program with a self-discipline I'd never had to use before in my life. Inching forward one tiny step after another, and with the support of loved ones and friends, I gradually made progress. A large post-it note stuck on my mirror read, Just follow the process and believe in recovery. Once around the bedroom, next week, twice, and so on. Most important of all, I had to rewire my brain. My nervous system had become stuck in fight or flight, and the only person who could change that was me. My amygdala had to become my mentor. One thing I did finally realise was that I could not go back to the life or mindset I had before. Over the next 18 months, my entire life was transformed from mindful to mindful. The fog gradually lifted and the sun started to stream through my window. It is perhaps a cliche to say that adversity is a gift, but certainly it changed my life for the better. Happily, I have recovered, perhaps not to the old self, but maybe that is a blessing. It's certainly true I feel wiser, happier and more optimistic than I did the years before chronic fatigue. Looking back, could I have seen the signs? Perhaps. But that's the million dollar question we all have to ask. It is true to say that chronic fatigue strikes in response to a perfect storm, an overload on the body and mind driven by achiever and helper personality characteristics, long-term stress and weaknesses in the immune system built up over time. But most crucially, it's a symptom of not listening to your body and not respecting your values. So what's different now? Well, in the latter period of recovery, I read, listened and watched more learning material than I had at any period in my life since university. I started to pursue and slowly teach myself new creative avenues like writing, photography, drawing and video. All things I'd wanted to do but never had the time to pursue. It was as if I was in a massive fit of self-expression and liberation. Most importantly, I think I discovered myself and my values. As Gabor Mate says, recovery is the refinding of yourself because the loss of self is the essence of trauma. This Turning the Tables podcast is a manifestation of that new direction. My working ambitions remain with a desire to build something meaningful and to mentor others on their journey. So what have I learnt that you might benefit from? Certainly I now believe control is an illusion. So let's go and enjoy the ride. Accept the life you have, don't crave the life you haven't. Because I now realise happiness is the lens through which you see your life, not the circumstances that surround it. Perhaps most significantly, listen to your instincts. Don't be persuaded by that finger-wagging voice in your head. With a comfortable sigh, 
I can now say, I have turned the tables. So that was the story of how I ended up creating the Turning the Tables podcast. So I thought it would be worth reflecting on the first 10 episodes now of the podcast to see some of the themes that have emerged and that shine through. Despite having to face tough circumstances like childhood abandonment, gender prejudice, parental alcoholism and drug addiction, age discrimination and chronic illness, my guests have all come through to find a new contentment and happiness in their lives. So perhaps this is a lesson to us, that however tough the circumstances you're facing, hold on to the belief that things can change for the better, and often what's round the corner can bring you new joy in your life. As Derek said in episode 2, adversity teaches you to better understand who you are, both the good and the bad. Jane, Linda and Francine all showed that discovering their inner purpose unlocked a much greater sense of fulfilment and happiness for them. I guess my final reflection would be that the reality of life is that unless you're very lucky, we all face adversity at some point in our life. The question is, how do we deal with it? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. Or you can leave a review. Every little review helps get the message out to more people. Until next time, see you soon. Go safely.